It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. It's a big problem I didn't know I had. So let's talk about my problem. Maybe it's yours as well. We're talking with Mike Fabaris. He's the founding pastor of Compass Church in SoCal. He's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, Talbot School of Theology, and Westminster Theological Seminary. And you probably know him best as the Bible teacher on Focal Point. And his brand new book is called Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. Mike, congratulations on your book, Envy. This is so great. Thanks for joining us this morning, first of all. Excited to be here. Excited about your book, too. Now, Envy is not something that we talk a whole lot about, but my goodness, I think it's a daily part of our lives, especially with social media. I feel like we get all the highlight reels of everybody's life, right? And this person has all, their house is perfect, and this person, their children are perfect, and this person, you know, this is perfect. And we tend to put all those perfectnesses together and think that's what my life is supposed to look like, and it just really doesn't. So there's... There's constantly images in front of us. Why did you decide at this point in time to write about envy? Well, it seems foolhardy to write a book about sin. I don't think many people are saying, I got to go to the Christian bookstore and pick out a new book on what my sins are. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I just started to piece together so many surface problems, relational problems, even problems in our society that really have its root cause being the thing that the Bible identifies as envy. And I think real Christians, I mean, we really should have a tender heart to be asking God, like Psalm 139 says, like, search me, try me, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. And I just think we should probably occasionally between our biographies and all the positive Christian books we read, just pick one up every now and then on a particular sin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, church history always identified this as like one of the major problems that resides deep in our hearts. They talked about the capital sins or the seven deadly sins, and envy was always a part of it. So I just think it's it's time for us to just pick up a book like this and say, uh, is this have a place in my heart? And even the early responses I'm getting, so many people saying, I never thought it was a problem. Mm-hmm. And I knew that would be the impact of this. That's why I subtitled the book, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. So it really is a diagnostic in the first half and a solution in the second half. And the book is all about trying to clean up our lives. Uh, with God's help, of course, to try and route this thing out and, mm-hmm. and, and all of its nasty effects. So help us understand what envy is. I think it's one of those, well, I'm quite sure it's one of those sins underneath lots of other sins, right? Yeah, it is underneath. It is underneath because no one comes to me and says, hey, pastor, I really am struggling with envy. Can you know, I confess this to you? And people don't see it and uh, it's there. And what it is, is it really is, taking uh, the 10th commandment and just taking it to the next level. 10th commandment is you're not supposed to covet. And covet is a weird concept too. It's this really strong desire. And the way I define it in the book is you you have this sense of God, I'm not going to be happy without this thing, whatever mm. it is. I really can't find contentment without having this, whether it's your neighbors X, Y, or Z. I just, I want what they've got. Now that's the, like the fuel of envy, but envy takes it to the next level. And envy is where I start to find myself, usually without any warning, I start finding myself with this weird, like, uh, distaste and distrust for the person that has 
what I don't have. Hmm. Now, some people think, well, I, I understand that. I, I see all these people in the media. They have all these great things, uh, movie stars, and I don't have them. And I wish I had them, their Ferraris and their mansions and all that. I, I think it's very important to note that envy is something uh, that's not like dreaming about being a superstar. It's about looking across the, the hallway at work or the small group in my church or the people that are my friends on Facebook, not the celebrities, and saying, well, I start to not like the fact mm -hmm. that they have what I don't have. And so we start nitpicking those people. We start gossiping about those people. We start slandering those people in very subtle ways. It starts subtly. And in the end, we realize we just, we just don't like that person. Mm -hmm. And we don't like them because the thing I crave, they have and I don't have. And so I think there's a fine line between coveting and envy. And yet it starts to become clear when I have this resentment for someone, and sometimes I don't even know why, and I need to connect the dots that covetousness is driving me into envy, and it can have some serious consequences, as the Bible says. Hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, there's gluttony, which is just like, I want more, but envy, what I'm hearing you say is it's relational. It's now impacting oh. relationships with people. Is there a difference between envy and jealousy? Yeah, jealousy can be described in Scripture as a good thing. I think of Exodus 34, 14. It talks about God being a jealous God. And you think, okay, and you recognize that sometimes you can be jealous in your marital relationship, and it's completely justified. It's like, this is my wife, or this is my husband, and that gal should not be hitting on my husband. And all of that's legitimate. The, the base of the word... Uh, jealousy is the word zeal. It's a zeal to be able to say, this is good and, and this is right. If I see someone traipsing through my backyard in the middle of the night, it's like, that's not right. I have a zeal to protect my things and that's okay, right? That In the right context. Now, jealousy and that passion can start to be gravitating like a magnet toward things that I don't have the right to have. I can't be jealous of a friend spending time with other friends because I'm not in some kind of covenant relationship with them. I, I can't be uh, jealous about my neighbor having dinner parties because that's not my that's not my house. It's not my yard. So there is a proper expression of godly jealousy. And God talks about that so much in the Bible. So it, it is related, and I try to separate those terms. What is jealousy? How can it be proper? What is covetousness? And what drives that envy? And how does that distinguish between the kinds of things that are happening to destroy and start to corrupt my relationships? But you're right. Uh, the, the real problem is always going to be seen in our relationships. And it's usually right here in our minds. We're thinking about our relationships wrongly. And we start to just have this disgruntled feeling toward mm. people. And it all is because of envy. Yeah. And we really can't love people the way that God has called us to love them if we harbor this bitterness towards them because of good things that they have that we long to have ourselves, I think that we need to dive into this book. If I envy what someone else has and I want what they have and I'm upset with them because I'm looking at them as better than me in a sense. So it seems like in that dynamic, I'm trying to get my identity from, I want to be better than Shauna. I want to be right. better than her. Cause if I feel better than her, then I feel good about myself. And that is completely antithetical to how I should be getting my identity as a believer. Right. No, absolutely. And, yeah. And all I have to say is if I told you Shauna makes twice as much money for doing the same work you do, right? 
mm-hmm. now all of a sudden it's not just going to be an issue with management. You're going to look at her differently and say, I don't know that she deserves twice my pay yeah. or somebody gets hired in your uh, studio and they're running a microphone and they're getting paid and got better benefits. You'd say, well, wait a minute, that's not right. And that is the kind of resentment that starts to grow toward the person. And and it is a problem. And it's a problem that I think we need to be so aware of that immediately gets me thinking, wow, is it really that I have to have this much money or these benefits? I've got to have the things that this person in my small group has at church, or I'm not important, or I don't feel significant. So you you touch on identity, Perry, and that that is important. You, You have to be able to realize that God is a God who dispenses some things, and you, you can't argue with things like beauty and brains and brawn, and he does it in all different ways. Everyone has different capacities and different blessings, and I've got to sit back and say, is my identity with God, for instance, that's the most fundamental relationship, is it really defined by how much beauty, brains, or brawn he gave me, or what circumstances he gave me, or what parents he gave me, or what you know, education he gave me, or what job opportunities he gave me? And if you just sit around and say, I've got to have all of these things to feel like I'm loved by God or significant to God in God's program, right? Then we've messed up our whole view of what God says we are as Christians. Have you had envy tamper with or ruin a relationship that you were a part of? And is it something that could have been avoided? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, even my wife and I dealing with infertility for so many years, you know, you can see yourself, my wife and I, I'm a pastor, a pastor's wife, we're serving, we're putting in, you know, countless hours serving people. And you see, you see the newlyweds uh, have a newlywed baby. We go to endless uh, baby showers Mm -hmm. and you start to recognize, you know, you see yourself pulling back from peers when you say, we're not getting what we want. And why would God not give us that we start to have a bad relationship with God. We start to have a bad relationship with the people that have the blessings that we desire. We start to nitpick those people, right? And we start to, like you said, Perry, like, are they better than me? I don't think they're better than me. And you start to have this real weird thing go on in your mind where you can't have the kind of good relationship you should have with people that are experiencing some, in some cases, the blessings of God in their life. So, yeah, it's going to mess up relationships. It has, and in Southern California, and I know, Shauna, you've got roots here in Southern California. It's very expensive mm-hmm. to buy a house, for instance. I went for, I don't know, 16 years of my marriage before I could finally afford a house here in Southern California. And that's just pretty typical, right? You yeah. got to save and scrimp for years. Yeah. And it's very hard for us to look at what we don't have and other people have it and not have that corrupt our relationships. When you have found yourself in the throes of envy, What has helped you dig yourself out of that? Obviously, we need God's strength, but make it real. How do we get out of it? Yeah, we need to get out of it by looking at the solutions in the Bible. And let me just give you the first prohibition in 1 Corinthians 13. We quote it all the time. But the first thing that the Bible says love is not is love does not envy. Mm. And I know Mm. that the problem in my heart is love. Right. Think about Cain killing Abel, right? Cain did not love his brother because his brother had the favor of God that he didn't have, something he wanted. Now he resented his brother so much he wanted him dead. What's the solution to hating my brother? Well, loving my brother. 
And the hatred came from envy, right? But the love has to come from God. And that's where I think we can't give this book to a non-Christian and hope they they figure this out. Because as First John says, the whole book, right? Love is the evidence of God's work in our hearts. He's the one who sheds his, his love in our hearts and it just overflows to where I can start to love people selflessly. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think love is the solution. And I think we all think we can check that box when I feel bad for someone, when something's happening to them, we think, well, I love them, but can we really rejoice with them when they rejoice, when they have the baby, when they get the car, when they get the house, when they get the raise, when they get the advantage? That's hard to do, but love is really at the core, the solution to all of that. And so it would be, the more I can receive and be filled up with the love of God, we love because he first loved us. Right. And and we need to think about what that means, right? He loved us, Romans chapter five, because we were sinners, hopeless, and we were enemies of God. We don't deserve a single blessing we have. And as Paul told the Corinthians, well, what do you have that you haven't received? Everything I've given you right, has been given to you as as gravy, as grace. And, and if we start to think we really are entitled to mm-hmm. these things as, as our societies are always pounding the, the desk saying, I deserve this. This is right. my right, right? We don't deserve it, right? It's a right perspective on myself to start to be able to appreciate the gifts that God does give. And that's very important for us to start to think about God's sovereignty, our sin, God's grace. And that starts to change the way we look at the blessings in our lives. Mm. I feel like gratitude's wrapped up in there too, right? Absolutely. We cannot have the absence of envy, which is the presence of contentment without true thanksgiving. And the blessings that we have, God has given for our enjoyment. We should enjoy what we have and not pine away for what we don't have, which is covetousness, and then start to get bitter toward people Mm -hmm. that have it. And that's rampant in society, and it's rampant in churches, and it's rampant in every workplace in America. And we've got to say Christians should not be embroiled in this sin. Clearly, we don't want envy to be a part of our lives. This is not God's plan for us. And yet, I mean, it's the subtitle of your book. It's a sneaky little bugger, right? It's the big problem that you didn't know you had. So how do we identify that we are dealing with envy, that it's a part of our relationship, so that it snuck its way into the way that we perceive other people? Yeah, well, if we're really, as you started, talking about scrolling through social media, if we're feeding this kind of disgruntled feeling toward people by continuing to look at their perfect teeth and their great vacation and the way their husband took them out on a date to a nice steakhouse. And we don't have any of that. If if I just keep feeding that, you just got to start to a- analyze, why am I doing this? What is this doing for me? Why am I constantly comparing my life with other people? It starts with identifying. And I would go back to that prayer, Psalm 139. Right, we need to be asking God, God, is this a problem for me? And if we ask that, then we need to identify it. And when we do, just like we would with with lust or greed or some other sin, we should confess it. I mean, that is is so overlooked. And as a pastor, people come to me with all kinds of problems. And I say, well, have we really sat down and confessed it as a problem and sought the repentance that God wants us to have toward every individual sin in our lives? And so I, I think we need to identify and then we need to confess and we need to say, okay, God, give me the strength now to turn from this and replace it with the solutions, which really start with love. And it it just really grows from there. God has plenty of solutions uh, for this uh, problem of of envy, but it starts with identification. When I'm bitter towards somebody because they have something I don't have, how do I 
apply the gospel to that, to free me from that. Yeah, well, and I get back to what the gospel's all about. The gospel's about the grace of God, that God has given us grace. If you thought right now, what does Perry really deserve? Does he deserve uh, twice the the paycheck? I mean, that's what the world's going to say, right? This guy's talented. You got fans out there going to say, yeah, that guy's the best. He needs to have all. If I really think about what I deserve, mm-hmm. right? Think about that. Yeah, I know my sin and I don't know it as well as God knows it, but I know my sin. I deserve, right? God's just wrath. I deserve his justice. I deserve outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. If we just get back to those basic principles of the gospel, I can start to say, wow, that that is not what I should be doing is pining away and resenting people that have the things I, I so crave, right? We're all going to have cravings in our lives, but we're going to have to put to death as Colossians three five says whatever's earthly in us and some of the earthly things in in our hearts are that kind of, of of slander and backbiting and bitterness that grow out of a deep resentment for people that have what I don't have mm. we need to start focusing on the grace of the gospel which means I'm a recipient of grace Paul wanted good health he could look at other people maybe Barnabas or Silas had good health and he had this thorn in the flesh he could say I just resent the fact that these guys are doing so well in their health and I'm just struggling and yet I'm the leader and I'm the smartest and I'm the most gifted right I mean we think oh I hope Paul doesn't think that way well he doesn't right he tells us there in second Corinthians he says this thorn in the flesh I recognize even as a painful thing is something that God has allowed and by God's grace which is the cornerstone of the gospel right it's going to be sufficient for me. Mm-hmm. I'm an accepted child of God, and therefore I can live with the deprivation here. I don't have good health, but I see this as, as starting to work God's plan out in my life, which in his cases, this is going to keep me humble. I am a, a an exalted apostle of the New Testament, but I can be humble now and say, I recognize this is serving a good purpose. We really have to believe Romans 8, 28, right? That God's working all things together for good, For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that good is God's good for us, not all of our wants and desires. We pray for things. We don't get them. We get frustrated because God says, you want to spend these things on your pleasures. Our goal needs to be godliness. And the Mm -hmm. gospel is calling us to that, to see sin as sin and to say, God, I want to pursue Mm -hmm. you and I want to embrace the gospel of Christ. That's so good, you know, to see sin as sin. Because I think in my own life, I'm just going to get real personal, but I have a tendency when God reveals to me that there's a sin in my life, like this conversation about envy and God's showing me things, the Holy Spirit's revealing things to me as we're talking, right? My thought process is, wow, I really need to manage that as if sin can be managed. It just has to be tamed rather than seeing sin for what it is and realizing it it needs to be cut out. This is not a joking matter. This is not a light. You know, it'll be better for you if you don't. We need to rid ourselves of envy. Right. And that's why the war motif, if you do pick up this book, every reader is going to read right out of the gate. It's got a very muscular approach. It's a throwback to some of the books that have ministered to me so well that have really said you cannot really just pet the sins in your life. You can't right. just domesticate them. You have to. And that's why I like to quote. Colossians 3, 5, you have to put to death, mm-hmm. right? The old Puritans used to use the old translation of that mortification. You got to mortify these sins and you got to go to war against them. And I, I use a lot of illustrations in the book that come from scripture about the warfare, the battle within our souls. We're never going to be rid of these sins ultimately until we meet Christ. But 
we have to fight between now and then. And Paul, at the end of his life, said, I fought the good fight, mm. right? And I yeah. want to be able to say, hey, yeah. are we fighting? And a lot of Christians pick up books all the time that just pat them on the back for what they already believe and know, make them feel great. And sometimes we need a book that's going to dig a little bit. I mean, I hope by the end of the book, people feel good about starting to put this thing to death, mm. but they've got to start by saying, this is a problem and it's worthy of my attention. I have a good friend, Rod, who says, before Christ, we were in a battle we, we could not win. But now in Christ, we're in a battle we cannot lose because of the Holy Spirit. But it is a battle, and the sins are still inside me, and we need to put those sins to death through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all those things sound wonderful. They're great concepts, but in real life, how do you, you know, fight this battle that we can't lose through the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, Perry, you've said it well. There, There is a battle that can be won, but it's a battle. There was a whole movement, I don't know, 15 years ago that tried to make this sanctification process of putting sin to death as an easy thing, right? We just coast, we just rest, we just lay back. And that approach to sanctification has resulted in nothing but trouble. And I'm glad that trend is starting to go away. I, at least from my perspective and my little corner of the world, it seems like, okay, people are recognizing that didn't work just to rest and relax. You can't rest and relax. We have to be vigilant. We're soldiers, right? We're suffering hardship as good soldiers to do what God asked us to do, particularly first and foremost, as Peter put it, these, these desires that wage war against my soul. Yeah. And if I recognize that that's the challenge, I can say, okay, God, you've given me the resource. Think about Ezekiel saying that the whole point of the new covenant promise, right? Which is going to be fulfilled, I believe, eschatologically in the end, but it starts now with taking hearts of stone, right? That cannot obey God from the inside and to replace them with a heart of flesh. And then he says, I'm going to put a new spirit within you and put my spirit within you. Look at all these resources, right? New capacity, new spirit, right? Which means my core desires now are, I'd like to lick every sin I ever identify in my life. I want to win that. Non-Christians don't think that way. And then he says, my spirit will be within you, right? And, and I will I will move you to keep my laws and decrees. And that's just like, wow, you're right. We have the promise and potential to win the battle with pornography, with whatever it might be, no matter how sticky the world says, well, this is hard, right? This, these are addictions and, and you're a victim. Well, we're not a victim as Christians, right? We, we recognize we have the resources to win the battle, but it's like saying, well, we're going to go over to that country, send some troops. We're going to win that battle. We can do it. We're America. Well, you know what? It's still a battle. And on the, on the ground, it's bloody and it's hard. And I think, you know, when we sit here on the radio and we say things that we say, we don't want to leave the impression that all you do is read a couple Bible verses and it's over. Right. It's going to be a hard and arduous battle. That's mm. why it's described that way in scripture. And at the end of our lives, which I hope on our deathbed, we can be able to say, hey, we fought the good fight, right? We may not have won every skirmish, but we fought it. We never mm -hmm. stopped fighting. And some people think that's contra God's grace, right? If it was grace, well, then it should be easy. Grace does not mean it's easy, right? Grace means that God gives us capacity by his grace and mercy that he doesn't give non-Christians, but it's still going to require our effort. I just think of Peter again, make every effort to add these virtues to your life, right? And that's the inverse of what we're talking about here. We've got to get rid of sin, but it's never without the replacement of the virtues that God says, I can give you, but you got to work toward this. And I just think that's part of the problem of people approaching sanctification in such a passive way.
I have an admission. I have original sin in me. I still have a sinful nature, but I have the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to envy, you know, I can be bitter towards people because they're better than me in a worldly sense. I see that they're better than me and I'm bitter towards them. And and when I recognize that about myself, I can repent of it or it can discourage me and I can give up. And, you know, maybe somebody's realizing I have a lot of envy in my life. What's the use? You know, I just, I'm so discouraged because this sin is just so huge in my life. I'll never overcome it. Yeah, no, totally. It's like looking at your desk in the morning. I'm looking at my desk right here and thinking, yeah, I, I can be discouraged. It's just a mess. It's just a mess, right? But God's plan for our lives when we see that mess is to, first of all, to pray, right? To say, I've made a mess in my desk. I got all this junk out here. It shouldn't be here. There are things that should be on my desk and they're not on my desk and I, I'm going to get to work at it. So let's take a piece at a time. And, and that's why this book is not about the totality of your Christian life. It's just like, here's a piece right here. Is this out of place? Let's straighten this up. And by God's grace, let's fix it. So I don't want anybody to read the book and be discouraged, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you get discouraged if you only read half the book. You need to read the whole of the book, which thankfully Moody Publishers was wise with this. And they said only, only 125 pages. So it's like, it's short, 125 pages. It, you can conquer this. You can get through the book. But what it's going to take is taking a step at a time. And you've got to see that God never wants us to give up because we're overwhelmed with our sin. If you feel like a sinner, reading any book or thinking of any sermon or whatever, welcome to the club. Every single Christian is struggling with the sin. James, right? The half-brother of Jesus, he he says, we all stumble in many ways. And that's a good place for us to start, not to give up, but to say, hey, we're all in the same boat. We We got some fighting to do. And knowing that God is a God of grace and that he gave his son to die for us, I don't know about you, but that just frees me up to be willing to admit the worst things about myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we need to, right? We need to be able to say, we're pretending we're something we're not in our own minds in particular. Bad enough, like the Pharisees trying to present it. But if we really believe that we're something we're not, sinless people, here's how Paul put it, 1 Corinthians 10, to Mm -hmm. those of you that think you stand, right? That's your real thought about yourself. You better take heed lest you fall. Nothing Mm -hmm. more vulnerable than Mm -hmm. a Christian thinks they got it all together. Mm -hmm. So we have to start with the ability to recognize we all have feet of clay. We all stumble in many ways. We're all vulnerable. And when it comes to envy, just like every other sin, right, we got to say, this could be a big problem in my life. I just got to admit it. And I feel like, you know, I'm 53 years into this journey, but I think for me, I just keep finding out at a deeper level that walking intimately with Jesus is a constant dethroning of myself. And I mean, that's what envy is, right? It's like, if I were God, I would have written this differently. I would have the things that you have. Totally. No, that's exactly right. That's so good. Shauna, that's a great insight. And and it's because we as Christians, even baby Christians, we just think, oh God, it's just all about me. We put ourselves in the center of this equation and uh, it is a dethroning. And I think constantly, no matter what we are dealing with in trying to become more Christ-like and walking with Christ, it just keeps putting us in the proper perspective. And, And that's why so many forms of Christianity that try to keep us at the center and Christianity becomes this tool to give me what I want. Right. And it's going to fulfill me. And I'm always going to be happy and it's all going to be good. We can't possibly think that when the Bible says Jesus, the one we're trying to emulate was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he put up with people and he struggled. He was crucified naked on a cross. I just think it's so important for us to remember. It's not about us. Mike, the listener can't see this, but we're talking with you via Zoom 
and I can see you. And I'm struggling with a bit of envy here because you're sitting in this really nice chair and you've, you've got this beautiful library behind you of, I'm sure, amazing books. And I got to tell you, I need some help right now because that looks really good. <laughs> well, yeah, I have been blessed and I think I need to recognize that. And that's part of the book is saying, let's, let's enjoy what God has given us. And, and this is not a book to try and squelch ambition right? And you want a nice library, man, let, let's take one step at a time with a godly contentment to build a good library, right? Yeah. Whatever you, th your ambition is, it's not about just saying, I'm not going to be ambitious, but it is saying, I'm going to be humbly recognizing that every step in the process of doing whatever God has called me to do is about stewardship. It's not about self-aggrandizement, right? It's about being useful to the king. And it's when we've done everything, we say we're unworthy servants. We've only done that, which we ought to have done. Mm -hmm. And if we're blessed along the way, we recognize that's grace. And God says he's given it to us to enjoy those who believe and know the truth. There's not a problem with us being blessed by God and enjoying those blessings. It's not trying to make us feel guilty for being a recipient of God's blessings or me having a nice library, which I'm so grateful for. But you know what? As the Bible says, if you have a lot, you ought to be, 1 Timothy 6, generous and ready to share. So I will say, Perry, if there's any books over my shoulder, you need, I put them in a box and I will send them to you if you need them. Hey, I'm rejoicing with you, Mike, because God has blessed you so much. You've got this big library. You've read these books. You are surrendering yourself to God to offer, you know, what God is teaching you to bless others. So that's the right way to look at it, I think. Right? Yeah, we need that stewardship mindset. And we got to think that way. If we don't yeah. think that way, we start to use all these blessings as just something to promote our own ego, our own pride. But we're servants of the Lord, right? Ultimately, we're here in a world. And even our, if our libraries look good and our lives look good, just like social media, the, you see the best of other mm -hmm. people. And you don't know what's going on in their lives. And a lot of people look at me or look at you and they think, oh, they got it all together. And they don't realize the pains and the struggles and the deprivation and the problems. And, and we're all struggling, right? No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man, right? We all have our struggles. So we just have to be honest with ourselves that what we're seeing on social media or on a Zoom call, right? It's just a depiction and mm -hmm. doesn't tell the whole story because all of us were in process and we're working hard and moving forward. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.